Support for Veterans Corner on Veterans Corner Radio is made possible by M&M Printing and the Observer News of Ruskin. Hello and welcome to Veterans Corner Radio Podcasts, information for and about veterans. For this podcast, host Bill Hodges talks with Lieutenant General Dana Adkins, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Military Officers Association of America. The Military Officers Association of America is deceptive in that the general public has little knowledge of them. However, they are one of the strongest, if not the strongest, lobbying organizations for both active duty military and veterans. With 21 lobbyists and a number of other legislative employees coupled with their representation of over 350,000 members, they are a great force for keeping the needs of our military in front of Congress. You'll learn what President Adkins, a man who rose from the enlisted ranks to have three stars on his shoulder, has to say about MOAA's current efforts and how you can help. Here now is Bill Hodges with Veterans Corner Radio on Veterans Corner Radio Podcasts. Welcome to Veterans Corner, a show dedicated to providing information to all those who have served our country's military and to their families. Now, here is your host, newspaper columnist, management trainer, and Air Force veteran, Bill Hodges. Hi, I am Bill Hodges, and this is Veterans Corner Radio, and we have a great guest today. He's been on with me before, and he's a gentleman I have really high regard for. He's the president and CEO of the Military Office Association of America, General Dana Adkin. General, thank you for coming on the show again. Yeah, Bill, thank you. I probably enjoyed it as much as you did. So thanks for having me back. It was a lot of fun. By the way, I just met Mike Borders, who is the uh, MOAA president for the Florida Council. What a great guy. He and his wife came to one of our chapter meetings here in Sun City Center, and he was great. Yeah, he's phenomenal. And, you know, actually leads probably uh, one of our largest councils, right? So it's an aggregate of chapters in the entire nation. Um, he's, he's very engaged, very active, very energized on the issues. In fact, I will see him this weekend. He's actually going to travel to Georgia, where the Georgia Council of Chapters uh, has their annual meeting. And he's actually going to join them for that as well. Super. Full disclosure, though, to my listeners, as a former enlisted man, I'm really not eligible for MOAA, but our chapter has voted me in as an honorary member, and I'm, I'm so honored by the fact that I get to deal and be with these people. Uh, we have a great chapter here. This Sun City Center chapter is outstanding. I think we've won awards every year. Well, first of all, you, you know enough, I think I spoke about Mo in the past. We, we are an association of commissioned officers. But that said, what we do, I would call it, it's agnostic, right? It benefits the E1 through the O10. And there's been a lot of discussion actually recently uh, on our board, whether we open our field of membership to include the enlisted force. And like you, I'm prior enlisted as well. So I have a lot of respect for enlisted members as well. I mean, you know, today's enlisted member, when you think about it, what a remarkable talent they are. Most of them, to be honest with you, through some portion of their career, 
will achieve a baccalaureate degree, you know, and it's a college degree that kind of is the entry level for a commission, an officer commission. Uh, but I know many, many enlisted members who have gone on to get advanced degrees and even doctorate degrees, you know, so the, you know, maybe the old days, you know, there was a, you know, kind of a separation, uh, you know, in sense of academic kind of achievements or something like this. But but today, it's pretty embellished. I mean, I I don't think you could put an enlisted member beside a, an officer member and determine who's who, because they're both remarkably intellectual. They're very gifted. They're very committed to what they do. They train equally hard. And, and But again, I, I did want to reinforce the fact that what this association does, which is really to advocate and protect and preserve earned benefits, pay and benefits of, of everybody, that in fact, we work equally high, hard for the, I say for that E1 as we do for the O10. You know, it's interesting you should bring this up because it hits me very close to home. Our granddaughter, who we're extremely proud of, graduated from college, didn't find a job in her field. So we encouraged her to go into the military. She went in as an enlisted person. The Army sent her to Monterey. She got a degree, which she already had her degree, but she got a degree in Russian and then was stationed at Fort Gordon. And in the remaining time she had the five years, she got her master's in communications. I mean, that's pretty good for an E4. Yeah, I'll tell you, Bill, you mentioned that your daughter or granddaughter went to DLI, that's Defense Language Institute. Uh, and the only reason I have intimacy with that, because my son went there as well. Oh, really? And, and they trained him as a Mandarin linguist. And I'm a proud parent, and you're a proud grandparent too. But when you recognize um, who gets to go to DLI, it is truly the cream of the crop. It's a very difficult program. You know, anybody who's trying to capture intimacy with a foreign language and something like Russian or Mandarin or those kind of things like this, uh, for me, it's, I can't comprehend doing that. But these kids, when they select somebody to go there, they have made a very determined selection uh, with a high, uh, we call it expectation of success. You know, that individual is going to be successful in that because, I mean, it's, you, you remember, she was probably there for a couple of years, you know, I mean, 18 just, months, I think. Yeah. You don't, you don't just pick this up overnight. You know, so. <laughs> Listen, Many people really don't know what the Military Officers Association of America really is. What is your reach? Can you give me a little background, uh, the overview? Yeah, Bill, first of all, we were established in, in 1929. So I, I always say that, you know, not as a point of reference in time, but the fact that we have been around many, many decades and we are both a veteran service organization and when you say veteran service organization, typically that means you have some sort of alignment or relationship with the Veterans Administration. We are also a military a service organization, and that means we probably have some alignment or association with DOD, the Department of Defense. So, so there aren't very many of us. In fact, I'm counting one right now who is both a VSO and an MSO. So I think that that gives us an advantage in the sense of we're able to understand what's happening within the halls of the Pentagon at the same time as individuals transition from their military careers into veteran status or, or post-military, that in fact, we understand and have the connectivity networks with the administration, Veterans Administration, and even the White House. We're a strong organization. We're about 350,000 members. We're very fiscally sound. And I, and I always say that not as a, a bragging right, but when I first came into this position, somebody told me, and I actually they showed me, you know, via evidence, 
that there are about 45,000 veteran service organizations across our nation doing something uh, to help the veteran community. Unfortunately, many of those veteran service organizations are pop-ups. You know, somebody had a great idea in the kitchen, you know, or they're out in the garage with their friends and, and they had a great idea and they do something, uh, but it's short-lived because it takes a lot of resources, you know, to kind of have resiliency and endurance over time. And, and we've been fortunate, as have others, to build a very robust financial portfolio that allows us to have financial endurance year over year over year to kind of keep doing the work we do. Because what we do, it can be remarkably expensive. We employ 84 employees here, but the heart of that employment is our government relations team. Um, we have 11 registered lobbyists, and I would challenge you to go find another veteran service organization or military service that has that big a team as professional lobbyists. Uh, and sometimes lobbyists conveys a, a negative term. Um, <laughs> yes, it does. But, but, but this isn't negative. And I say lobbyists because we are a C-19. Many have heard nonprofit C-3s. I mean, that's kind of the traditional nonprofit. But when you have the C-19 nomenclature, that means that you're allowed to, in fact, lobby on behalf of your membership. And our membership is active duty service members from all uniformed services, from public health service, NOAA Corps, and their families and, and survivors. So we're able to do that. And, and I think we do that in a very effective way. So we have a strong history of gaining legislative successes. And I, when I say legislative successes, those are laws, laws of our land uh, that benefit veterans. Everything from, you know, GI Bill. I think one of the things that I think we're most proud of, because it took about four decades to get it over the goal line, was the repeal of what we call the widow's tax, SBP DIC, Survivor Benefit Plan. DIC is Dependency Indemnity Compensation. Uh, those are two actual entitlements that a deceased individual's survivor gets. SBP is like an insurance. You and I might go out and buy, you know, a whole life insurance. And if we pass, then those insurance proceeds go to our surviving spouse or, or, or whoever we designate. DIC is paid by the VA. And that's paid because uh, if you passed away today, Bill, or me, uh, then there is a loss of income, a wage earning income that that your dependents have lost. Yeah, my wife would take a hit. Oh, yeah. So DIC is our nation's way of, you know, reconciling the loss of that wage earner. But DIC is paid because your death was related to your military. You know, either it was a combat death or an accident within the military training or something like that. And for some reason, Congress had always looked at that as double dipping. You know, why would you get, you know, survivor benefit plan and DIC? Well, if I was a civilian, you would never challenge that. I could go out and get a mutual of Omaha life insurance policy and whatever it was. And, and you wouldn't tell me that I'm getting two entitlements, but somehow within the envelope of kind of the, the federal system, they saw that as, as double dipping, but we got that repealed. And so about 67,000 surviving spouses today now have been reimbursed for that loss of income. And that's on average about $14,000 a year. The DIC piece of that is about $14,000 a year that has been now reimbursed back to those surviving spouses. And, and they'll get that year after year after year. So we feel very proud of that. Is this part of the National Defense Authorization Act? Yeah, it was, in fact. It was the 2019 National Defense Authorization Act. But now in the current National Defense Authorization Act, as you likely know, and your listeners do as well, 
uh, that's ongoing right now. So that, you know, it kind of goes through the different chambers. So the House, and particularly in the House Armed Services Committee, they'll develop their portion of the national defense, and so will the Senate. And then they come together in committee and they resolve differences. And then at the end of the day, and usually the end of the day is the end of the year, they'll in fact publish the National Defense Authorization Act, which basically then provides all the guidance to DOD and all the other ancillary administrations within our defense architecture, provides them what they have to do and, and the entitlements and stuff. So, so what's going on right now that we're proud of, first of all, the National Defense Authorization Act, as it's working its way right now through the committees before final approval, uh, has approved a 2.7% pay increase for our active duty service members. Is that good, bad, or indifferent? A- actually, it's good um, because by law, the pay changes year over year should align with what they call Employment Cost Index, ECI. And ECI is published by the Department of Labor. Now, what happened, though, uh, there was a period of time, probably starting in the late 1990s into kind of about the 2010 timeframe, where pay was less than ECI. So in an aggregate of about 12 years, the pay gap ended up being almost 14%. And when I say the pay gap, if you and I were doing a like type job in the private sector, then your private sector counterpart was making 14% more than you were for the same work. And so we've got that now back over time, we've got that gap is closed now and it's roughly only about 1.7%. So we've done a good job. And I, when I say we, it's a lot of people, not just SMOA, but, but a lot of veteran service organizations have been obviously pushing for that. So to have the pay proposal aligned with ECI is, is a good sign. I've only got about two minutes left. Okay. Is there something that I haven't asked you that you really want to get out in those two minutes? Yeah, Bill, our success actually is forged in what you do, right? The members, what you do. So, so take an active role in here. I mean, reach out to your congressional leaders within your state like this and appeal to them to support these things. For instance, right now, there's a basic needs allowance. There's a small sector of the military, typically E4 and below, that quite frankly are living on the poverty level uh, just because of the nature of their pay and, and whatever it is like this. So we're trying to get a basic needs allowance established. Um, We're trying to get toxic exposure coverage. Many of us, you and me, Bill, are are familiar with Vietnam, right? But an Agent Orange. But today's warrior is coming out of Afghanistan, Iraq, and whatever. Oh, uh, with all kinds of bad things. Yeah, burn pits, you know. And and we know that they've been exposed to some significant toxins that will ultimately probably end up being a cancer in their body, you know, sometime down the future. So the real thing is really encourage your listeners here to engage. Now, if they want, they can go through MOA to do that. We have a legislative page in there uh, where they can, actually, it's kind of automated, you know, we have the issues on there, but if you went to www.moaa.org, that pulls up our webpage, and then you can see uh, the legislative activities that are going on And then it actually is automated. So if you want to reach out to a particular congressional leader uh, in your state, in in this case, Florida, then in fact, you can put the name in there and then you could obviously automate your request to that congressional leader. You know, one final, I'll make it more as a comment than a question. Many of my female listeners who are service members don't feel like they're being represented. But as I look at your organization, 
almost half of your executive staff, if not more, are females. So yeah. it appears to me they have an oar in the water. Well, we're very proud, um, you know, of, of the diversity, not only of our staff, but of our board and also of what we're doing right now. We, I think we recognize that the female active duty service member or veteran uh, is being underserved. I mean, you know, if you walk into the hallways of a, you know, a VA medical clinic or something like this, it's just a bunch of old guys, right? <laughs> and it has been for years and years, but now, you know, obviously, the, and the percentage of women in our military has gone up exponentially over time. Exactly. Listen, I have just run out of time, but I, again, I, I'm going to have you back if I can. I want to thank Tony Lombardo, your director of audience engagement. And of course, Janelle Cox, your very able executive assistant for helping me all the way along to get you on. And I so appreciate it. Thank you for being with me. My guest has been General Dana Adkins, President and CEO of the Military Office Association of America. I always find our program so interesting. I've run out of time, but thank you so much for being with me. Thank you, Bill. You're unique, you're special, and you're great. Tell yourself so often because you are, you know, and we'll catch you again on Veterans Corner Radio. You've been listening to Veterans Corner with your host, Air Force veteran Bill Hodges. The views expressed on this program are those of Bill and his guests and are opinions based on the best available information. In matters of law or governmental regulation, it will always be best to check with the appropriate agency. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us for the next Veterans Corner. Before we go, here's a quick final thought. Why not take a minute to follow or mark Veterans Corner Radio podcasts as a favorite? It's easy, and you'll be among the first to be notified when new episodes of the podcast are released. And thanks for listening to Veterans Corner Radio Podcasts.